A cheeky start to 2023 for Leinster in more ways than one. Well, so much for my New Year's resolution to cut down on the dad jokes. It's time to start harping on rugby. Harping on Rugby. My name is Jeff Pagano, and once again, I've been joined by my fellow fans to harp on what's going on with Leinster, Ireland, and the wider rugby world. And I hope 2023 finds you all well so far. This week, my first guest contributor is back earning cap number 28. A warm welcome to Mr. Tom Coleman. Happy New Year, Jeff. Happy New Year, Connor. Good to see you again. Indeed. And also joining us this week is someone making his 27th appearance. Hello to Mr. Connor Cronin. Thanks again for having me back and Happy New Year, lads. Indeed. Right, Chance. Now, before we get to our main topic of conversation, we're going to, as always, going to go to a feature we call The Front Five, where we pick out five eye-catching, eight-chasing stories from around the rugosphere so we can offer a few quick thoughts. We're starting with yourself, Tom. Your first article is from sportsjoe.ie. It's Pat McCarry, and the um, headline is Andy Farrell dressing room phone call captured after Ireland beat the All Blacks. Yeah, this was obviously the documentary that aired on RTE during the week about the Ireland's uh, summer tour series victory down in down in New Zealand. And um, it's always interesting looking at those. I suppose the Lions uh, documentaries, The Fly on the Wall, sort of made these sort of documentaries popular. There was a lot of good ones going back to sort of South Africa, 97, etc. But uh, there were some nice moments in it. Uh, uh, the article in question is, is just capturing Andy Farrell in the dressing room by himself. Uh, it seems like he's ringing his, his son Owen uh, in England because they've got. He mentions Tommy, which is Owen's kid. I think he's. I think Owen is Owen's child is three or four, so he's onto his grandkid and his son just celebrating an Irish win. Uh, you know, which is nice to see, and it, you know, just it shows how it was nice to see how much it means to him. Um, you know, I think we've got used to Andy Farrell just in press conferences. He calls it as it is. There's no sort of so. Um, it's no surprise to just to see him enjoying it just with his son and his 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 grandson, I think, on, on the phone. Just after, you know, you know, as he said himself, it was one of the highlights of his career in both both codes. So yeah, it was it was it was it was a nice moment to, to, to catch on 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 the alive for, for, for him in the dressing room. Yeah, I mean, it was a good documentary all around. It was uh, really, like we were saying on the previous show, uh, it, it, it was the timing of it uh, that, you know, right at the end of the year, that time between Christmas and New Year, when you're looking back over the sporting year and for Irish rugby in just general, that was clearly the highlight. And it was great that they had a, um, they'd taken a record of it. I don't know if they, the series had gone the other way. I don't know if we might have seen the documentary uh, put together in the same way, but uh, it, was, it was great the way it turned out. And uh, that was definitely a special moment from it. Okay. We'll move on to yourself, Connor. Um, your art headline is from the Rugby World, and it is, uh, what did Joe Marler say to Jay Keenan? And I think the most important question here is, does it actually matter? I don't think it matters at all what he said. Now, the rumor mill says it involved Jay Keenan's mother and the suggestion of what she might do for a living, and I'm not going to get into details. That's the suggestion. I wasn't there. I can't say um, I'll tell you one man who was there is the referee who's less than six feet away and says he heard nothing, which is a total cop out as far as I'm concerned. That is an absolute 
bottling of it, if ever there was one. Um, look, he's he's always baiting people, always, always, always looking for a reaction from somebody, and whether it's grabbing Alan Wynne Jones's crotch or saying whatever he said to Jay Keenan, he's always looking for a reaction and looking for the other fella to end up with a card. And I think this is probably his just reward. Um, now, the fact that four weeks of his suspension is suspended Crazy. is a little bit ridiculous. If you're going to say to somebody, we don't accept this behavior, and we're going to say that you have a good record, um, not, not from my point of view, he doesn't. He's, he's bringing the game into disrepute. I think that's the charge he should be brought up on. Um, and two weeks two weeks is nonsense um it doesn't matter what he said anything that makes the game look bad there's no room for us and let him be done for it properly yeah i mean the the the, the key element here you see there's a lot of reaction online say oh it's a man's game things are said why are we making such a big deal blah 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 but they're ignoring the fact that this guy has form this guy has done it before. He's been caught before. He's been sanctioned before. And like you say, that suspended sentence. I mean, they'll probably argue, well, this was the RFU and the last time it was World Rugby. So it's, I mean, that's all it's ridiculous. He's, he's making, been punished for it before and he's doing it again. We, we know that there's, you know, sledging and this all goes on in all the games. And, and, you know, we're not necessarily saying that stops, but what this has brought to the fore is that obviously there's a line and we've got to, you know, it's up to the referees. It's up to the people in charge. If they're going to start back put bands for these things they've got to define where the line is so maybe because this particular player has gotten put given himself a face and put his face to it maybe we'll call it the marler line and uh, let that be his legacy if they, we want to do it like that but the thing is is that it's it's it is it is an issue that 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 does have to be dealt with they have to come up with some kind of way of and being consistent with the call so if someone does it get sanctioned for it and they do it again that that's at least taken into consideration because I didn't see any, I read that report and I didn't see anything of it in the report from what, from what I saw. But anyway, listen, it's a nasty business and hopefully, hopefully you don't see too much of it in the future. Okay. We're going to go back to yourself, Tom. Your next article is from huge rugby news. Um, it was just an article, just this headline after all that's been said in the past, I just, just thought it was, just thought it was amusing to, to hear it. Uh, the, the, it's from uh, the headline is no relegation will produce more shocks. Baxter. Yeah, I had to actually read this article a few times to try and get to just with uh, sometimes I don't know what they what they drink down in Exeter. Sometimes some of the commentary out of rugby in general out of Exeter does be a bit baffling, whether it's the owner or some of the players that are they're afraid of the needle. Um, yeah, Baxter's maintaining, you know, he seems to be bemoaning the fact that uh, some of the teams that are down near the bottom who aren't fighting relegation because relegation is suspended until the 23-24 season in the Premiership are having a go and have nothing to lose. And, and, and this is his excuse for, for Exeter, I think, uh, Saracens and Sale losing um, all, all against the bottom three. I think it was London Irish, Newcastle and uh, Bristol. And that um, his, his logic is that, you know, they've nothing to lose. Um, they're not worried about relegation, so they're going to keep coming at us and they've keep, keep going at us and, and try and win the game. Uh, you know, and that's why I said I had to read it two or three times. Uh, trying to make sense of it, like he's bemoaning the fact that uh, some of the games are now competitive. And he's also maintaining that if if London Irish was in a relegation battle, for example, and they were to play Newcastle next week, well, normally they'd be resting players against Exeter because they have no chance of winning and they'd save everybody for next week against the big relegation battle. So it was a weird article for me. You know, maybe other people would read it differently. 
But uh, yeah, it was just a weird way of trying to justify bringing back relegation that that you would have less competitive games because the, the bottom teams would only care about the results against themselves down there and not have a go against the bigger teams. It's just just ridiculous. I don't know what, what point he was trying to make. The way the Premiership, I haven't seen a current confirmation of this, but I think the way the Premiership is set up right now, the top eight out of just 11 teams is still going to get into next season's Champions Cup. I haven't heard anything yeah. different to that. So, so I mean, the, the teams at the bottom still have something to play for unless they're, mild, unless they're totally cut adrift. So there, there's really, there, there's comp- competitiveness all the way through the competition as it stands right now. And they have enough to be worried about with the competition, just keeping the clubs playing at all, rather than worrying about relegation or not. But I just, I just thought that was an interesting headline. Thanks, thanks for having a look at that for me. Okay, we'll move on to yourself, Connor. Um, we've got the, obviously the Six Nations is around the corner and our first opposition is Wales so this is from Wales Online, it's Ben James and the headline is uh, Stephen Jones and Gethin Jenkins leave Wales coaching jobs with the media effect as Gatlin shakes up his backroom team Yeah, at the time of recording it's 32 days till Sixmas um, and <laughs> with with only 32 days having a shake up like that, look you, you'd question do you really drop the entire backroom team? But I think the the quote out of this article that really got me, and I'm slightly paraphrasing it, but uh, we've appointed a very experienced head coach and it is important he is afforded the best opportunity to succeed, which for me is, lads, you're not good enough, jog on. Um, and they talk about how they've taken, they've taken the news very well and all this kind of thing. The two lads came with Pivak from Scarlet's and he was bringing in fellas he knew and knew well and knew what he wanted to achieve. Um, I would have said Jones knows exactly what uh, Warren Gatlin wants to achieve, but apparently he's looking for Rob Howley and Paul Gustard to fill those roles. Look, new brooms sweep clean. Um, and it seems that even if your new broom is technically triggers room uh, and it's just coming back with a couple of new bits they're still going to clear out and he's going to do it exactly the way he wants and I don't think anyone's really surprised it's it's going to be an interesting interesting six nations absolutely no doubt about that okay so um for our final article we're going to go back to uh, the, the the action in this latest round of the URC and it's for yourself Tom it's the Belfast newsletter and the headline reads Dan McFarlane calls Ulster terrible in late defeat to Munster well, they could they could have altered the headline and said the game was terrible for starters because uh, for a lot of that game it was very poor standard from both teams for an interpro. Uh, but to Dan McFarland himself, look, it's always difficult. He, in fairness to him, he's always one that will will wa- walk out to the the interviewers after the game and give a fairly full and frank interview. So th- this is no real surprise. He was probably a lot more frustrated than normal. If you lose in the game in the last minute, um, in a game you should have won a couple of times over. Um, even though they weren't that convincing. Um, they had like 11 entries to the 22 and only scored once in that game. Um, and it had to take them one or two of those chances at, at certain times in the game. Munster would have been 19, 20 points down. So I can understand his frustrations. You know, Roundtree said last week against um, Leinster that, you know, he didn't say they were terrible, but he was verging on that saying, hey, we have to do better and learn. And we are just, you know, so... This was probably a little bit harsher uh, by McFarland on his own on his own team. They've lost four now out of the last five. It's a little bit of a mini crisis for Ulster. Um, 
But then if you look back on some of the scores on the Interpros, it's a point here and a point there. So, you know, it's there's while it's very frustrating for Ulster fans, it just needs a little tweak here, a little tweak there. That just I think that lack of confidence that seems to be there at the moment is the difference at the moment. Um they still have to sort out their nine ten situation. Um, you know, ultimately that's where where it comes from. Um, if if they're trying to create chances in a game where they had a lot of territory in the opposition opposition twenty two and they don't end up winning the game. Um, but yeah, look, I, I I'd have certain. It's rare that a coach would come out and be so blunt about his team, but I do. I you know I I think McFarland's honesty can be quite refreshing because I think he meant the Royal We as in Ulster as in coaching staff and everything. You know what I mean? It's um, it's 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 not he, he wasn't just pointing in certain name and players about so and so do this or well this guy did that, um, yeah. But it's it's they, they need a break or two in the next few games just to get back on the back on track. Um, they got away with one maybe down in Connacht when Carty pushed that conversion wide for a draw, that would have been really five or no wins in five. Um, but look, yeah, it's it's um that second half in the RDS is, has uh. That sort of done damage to them um, that, that we didn't know about at the time. Yeah, that was the starting point. All right. Hopefully things do get better for Ulster going forward. Okay, so listen, uh, that's it for the front five. As always, you'll find those links uh, in the program notes. So now it's time for us to look at our feature match of the week, which was, of course, Lancer v. Connett in round 11 of the 22-23 BKT United Rugby Championship. As always, our match wrap pods are brought to you by the Irish Rugby Store. It was a 7.35 p.m. kickoff at the RDS. The conditions were dry, kind of cold, but not as bad as when Gloucester were in town a couple of weeks before. Lancer Rugby reported that the match was technically a sellout with 18,200 tickets purchased, but later announcing an official attendance of 17,560. Now, Johnny Sexton got things underway with a kickoff towards the South Stand. We've been saying on the pod how Leinster have gotten off to fast starts this season, although that didn't quite work out down in Thoman last week, as it wasn't until the second half until we crossed the line. But with just a minute on the clock, Jimmy O'Brien was just about still in the air when tackled by Tom Farrell. And this gave us the chance to kick for the corner, giving us a line out in their 22, Tom. Yeah, uh, as you say, Jimmy O'Brien was caught in the air by a Connacht, just about, just about caught in the air. It was, it was, you know, a split second from the Connacht line. It would have been a great tackle. Um, Johnny, as we know, and Leinster this season um, seems to be 99 times of 100 go to the corner in these situations. And um, Kelleher set the tone for the night by throwing a really good line out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, straight to Bird. This is a try we've seen from Leinster quite a few times this season. You know what I mean? We, we've The only difference this time was instead of being a first phase move where, where Turner goes under the sticks, there was a mall in the middle of it. Um, which somewhat questions normally it's harder to defend off first phase for Connacht so Connacht will have to look at themselves defensively I didn't look back at the try from their point of view but if there's a mall set in the middle that slows up the, the move uh, and Leinster still sort of off the next off the next move get in under six unopposed Connacht will have to look to look at the, the, their defence in that situation but it was you know it was the usual not tied to Sexton and, and Sexton drew in a couple of players as did Cale and Doris if you're watching back on that move he sort of held a few lines. He's, he, he, is, he is one of those players that Leinster do go to out in midfield as that big carry. So Connacht were wary of him. And, uh, and young man Turner got his first competitive try for Leinster, which was great to see. Um, and uh, it was a yeah, lovely move. Yeah, it was a nice try. I'm delighted for Liam Turner. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, we've been saying on the pod how he's, uh, 
he's his his selection. He's been selected in a lot of times when they, the the team could have definitely gone another way. I mean, last season he was just coming in, breaking kind of breaking into the team, getting a couple of starts here and there, um, like during Six Nations and stuff like that. But now he's he's finding himself on the bench, twenty three down in Thomond, and then he's he's being chosen for a starting center role, thirteen. And just the fact that they this was our first real set piece move. And they, they had a move that was designed to get him space. Just shows that, that how much his, his stock is, is riding in the province. And it was good for him to get his first try for Leinster. Well, Saxon didn't quite manage to make the extra. So it was 5-0 to Leinster. And when uh, Charlie Natsai jackaled a penalty at midfield, it looked like we'd have another chance to attack, given we had a line out just outside their 22. But as Tom said, things didn't go quite as smoothly from here, Connor. <sighs> the line outs. <laughs> um, I watched back this game. And then I remembered, as I was watching it back, that I, I'm 99% sure I was on the pod for the reverse of this fixture, fixture uh, when we went to the sports ground. And I said at the time that Dooley and Murphy had brought with them the playbook and just showed it to everybody. Like, here it is. This is what they're going to do. So listen to these calls and do those things. And by the time we get to 10 minutes, there's been five Leinster lineouts. And we've won one. It was 10 minutes and 42 seconds when that fifth line out throw was put in by Kelleher. And it was, it was missed again. It was stolen in the air, I think, at that stage. Um, they, they, I, I'm really not impressed with how long it took us to adapt and figure out, okay, they know what's happening in the line out. No, at that stage, they had four off our put in. By the time you get to the end of the match, they've only got six in total. But that's six out of 18. That's a third of our lineouts stolen or disrupted enough that it's an overthrow or a miss to the, to, to the jumper or whatever else. Mm. Um, I think they had 13, uh, sorry, 10 turnovers. And six of them are clearly lineouts, uh, which is phenomenal as a statistic, to take a third. We had 87% on our own throw in the line-out until last night. Um, that first line-out throw, at that point, we were 87% for the season. Actually, when you think and of it, we can, blame, we can blame Hugh Cahill for that because he cursed us with, uh, with, with, by saying that on the very first one. So it's all, yeah. it's all down to him. We can blame, you can blame, we can blame but, him. But to go from there down to, you know, 66% at home on your own lineouts. That is, that's criminal. Absolutely. And uh, that's yeah. the first couple of lineouts were, were, were lost. How, how did it affect the, the game, Connor? Yeah, look, I mean, by the time we get to four lineouts to two for our put in, but then they, they, they've got uh, their own lineouts outside our 22, uh, clean off the top. Carthy drew van der Fleer for the tackle. Um, but you could see Johnny sort of in two minds a little bit. If you watch it back, you can see he's he's 99% trusting Van der Fleer, but he's having a moment of, oh, what if? And suddenly the ball is gone out to Hawkshaw, who's kind of caught Johnny flat-footed at that stage, breezes past him as Johnny tries to make the tackle and misses, and Van der Fleer is trying to come in off the top of that. And that is now coming across because Johnny's missed the tackle, but now he's missed and the gap is there and Hawkshaw goes running through. And again, it's one of those things where you sort of feel they know the plays, they know how we'll, he knows how we'll defend as a backline. So where can I exploit some space? 
and you know connect are re we're reaping benefits of knowing ha having that inside track from former leinster players i think and and making use of it and being clever with it and you know attacking coaches saying okay what will Johnny likely do here? And what will Vanderfleer likely do here? And if we've got Natai there, then what's he going to do? And making use of the information, making use of that inside information and, and creating a, a good try. That's a great score. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, it was a great finish in the end. But just back to the line out now. If, I mean, if we're if we're convinced now that this is some uh, kind of a insider trading kind of thing, and I wouldn't even, I mean, you, you need to use all the information you can get. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But does that mean that, we don't need to read too much into it for the wider season in terms of Leinster. I mean, could, could, you know, for playing a team that may not know us as well, you know, going down the line, bigger matches and stuff, um, would we have much to worry when you about? you look at, what, two, three weeks ago, Dan Sheehan was 100% on his lineouts. Yeah. Um, is it a case of Kelleher getting back to pace and getting used to things again? Is it a case of, presumably, Ryan was calling the lineouts, um, is it a case that he needs to be more aware of what's happening around him? And, and as Tom says, you know, change the call if you need to, you know, call, have, have a, have a setup that it's, you know, looks like they know what we're doing. It's now a two jumper. Let's go. Um, and, and, you know, presumably the playbook has been changed. You know, mm -hmm. we, we've lost two players to such and such a team and one player to there. And we might end up playing Exeter later in the season. And, you know, we've, we, we've got Jack Dunn out there. Um, so we, we don't, you know, I'm presuming the whole playbook has changed. Yeah. We had 13 uh, against 14, I think, against Munster. Yeah. Know, line and Munster would have a, a very good defensive line out, as we know, with, you know, Peter O'Mahony yeah. is one of the world's best at it. Ty Bourne is no slouch and gentline. So, yeah, it's it's not enough of a pattern to be concerned. It was just... Those two games. It's the fact that both games against Connacht, that's why I'm reading into it the way I am. Yeah. Because... And like it, it you say, you've got to be better at reading. It's almost like in American football where the quarterback looks up, they're set to go, and they read the defense and see what's going on and say, listen, guys, you have to change the play. And what do they call it? Say they're calling an audible and whatever. And they have to be re ready to react if they think that the, that the opposition might, might have a read. Because some of those, it was they, the, the Murray brothers, now fair play to them, and they were getting to the lineups and stuff. But some of the jumps looked as if, as if the throw was meant for them. Do you know what I mean? It, it went it went to them as if as if that's what it was supposed to go. So you can't can't be having that every week. But anyway, no. Listen, that's great. And um, Cardi, I did manage to convert that score, which put the visitors ahead seven to five. But Leinster came back at them from a restart until a knock on gave Connor a scrum, which became a free kick, allowing for a chance to clear. And um, with Lens knowing Leinster's lineout was Jack Cardi clearly thought touch was a good option from here, but his kick crucially didn't make it, allowing Leinster to have another go. And after winning a penalty inside the twenty-two, Sexton turned to James. Ryan and ask, is the line out okay? And Tom, what happened from there? Yeah, as you say, well, I know one thing that was noticeable straight after the Hawkshaw try that Leinster's intensity and and pace upped like substantially. Like Leinster were like, fact this. It was, it was it's like we've said before from the start of games where there's just this like this go call amongst the team where they just up the pace and up the intensity. That was very noticeable. Baird nearly got in, as you say, from an offload from James Ryan. He just knocked on like a, a hand got in there just about he was about half a meter. But as you say, from the resultant scrum, Carty didn't get touch. And um, there were some big power plays by Callagher and this. Again, Leinster went back to the power game and just it was just too many bodies for 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 for, for Connacht to deal with. Um, eventually Connacht infringed again, and, and there was, as you say, this funny moment where, where Johnny turned around to James Ryan and said, Is the line out okay? 
And he's, you know, James Ryan didn't look too convincing. And he sort of, Johnny gave him a second look going, is it okay? And he sort of, yeah. So they went to the corner this time. It's not like you say no. <laughs> no, I know, but it was, Hell a funny, no. it was a funny little conversation. As in, maybe they were going to try something different. But uh, this time, again, um, we did hit the line at this time. And, and it was the power game continued on from the previous play. And, you know, at the end of the day, Connacht just ran out of bodies. Leinster were sort of uh, testing them on the blind and in the open. And uh, in fairness to Deeney, who had a couple of good carries uh, within that, like if you look at his play, he was up and recycled himself back in pretty well. He spotted on the gap on the on the blind suit. I think it was just Blade that was there. And, you know, Blade, I don't know what he is, five foot seven against a guy that's six foot nine. There was only going to be one winner. And it was, again, like Turner, it was great to see Deeney getting on the score sheet as well. So, yeah, it was a good try. But, yeah, the the the, the, the chat about the line-out, which seems to be a recurrent team during this, just this first half, was was amusing. Yeah, it's a common theme now amongst, you know, Leinster. We're just getting used to it over the years. These new, these the, the younger players, they just come in, but they automatic, they automatically, from their very debuts, have the confidence just to back themselves in situations like that. I mean, he didn't hesitate to just to pick the ball and run the opposite direction, get around there and uh, mismatch and get over the line. So that's definitely good to see. Now, this uh, Saxon conversion was good, leaving uh, the score 12 to 7. But later, the Leinster skipper was forced to apologize to his teammates when they kicked from outside the 22 and on the full. But he made Made up for it shortly after when he got involved in a tackle along with Charlie Natai, stripped the ball free, winning back possession. And although we had a penalty advantage at halfway, once it got to a certain winger, Connor, we didn't really need it, did we? Yeah, I mean, look, there's when that rip comes in, because uh, Sexton with the tackle, Natai in support, and Natai rips it out. Um, and then there's a few forward phases, you know, barging through some of the Connacht fans, like really powering through. Um, and then Johnny gets the ball and a big pass out to Jordan Larmer. Yeah, so Jordan steps two. Like he he no right going through that space. He just sort of sort of looking with one, two, gap, and, and round the pair of them. Um a lovely pass inside to Jimmy O'Brien. You're kind of looking going, this is on, it's definitely on. And then when O'Brien kicked it, I was like, Oh sure, what are we doing here? Like, are we are we sure the support is going to get there to put the tackle in, maybe drive him over the line, whatever it is, or force Carty into a, a bad uh, a bad clearance? That ball goes through and poor Carty slips. And I wasn't sure, did he knock it or did it bounce off him or what happened? It didn't matter because the support line, I mean, after the, after the pass to O'Brien, Larmer's still following through, waiting for the inside pass again. So when it bounces over the top of Carty's head, Larmer was right there to pounce on it and uh, and get over for a score. There was a bit of luck at the end of it, but like they say, you earn your luck. And yeah. uh, there's no question that, that Larmer did earn that. I mean, at, at, at one stage, as he was ducking and weaving, some might say oh, there was a block by a Leinster player, but the Leinster player had no idea what he was doing. He was stepping him as well. He, you know, his, his own players doesn't, don't even know where he's going. And uh, it was just a, an incredible, incredible move. And um, it was an amazing score. Okay. Yeah, so he, uh, he deserved yeah. to have that try for having done the work, for having made the space to get O'Brien down the wing with it. 
Absolutely. And it was great to see him so pumped after getting it as well. He, it must be, it must feel really good after, after a bit of play like that. Okay. So Sexton's conversion made in 1970 and there was some uh, kicked tennis following the restart, which seemed to go Leinster's way until another botched line outside Dave Heffern and crashed into the Leinster half before winning a penalty, which put them five meters from our line town. Yeah. As you say, our line of was continued. It was yeah, an overthrow straight into Heffern and he made good yards up the middle of the pitch. This was just a series of, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll look at this on Monday. It just seemed to be a good few penalties within this phase of play. I think at the, after Heffernan carried it through, uh, Charlie Natai was was caught at an infringement and that gave another penalty advantage. Um, Connacht went to the corner and straight away we infringed at the line out. So that Connacht had penalty advantage for that mall as well. Um, and in fairness to Connacht, I thought it was our best play of the game. It was a bit like our, the Dini try for me. Um they tested Leinster left and right, you know, fairly precise carries, you know, they were there latching on well. And um, Leinster got a taste out of their own medicine in close. Um, eventually, they created an overlap on the blind side. We'll come back to Farrell. There was talk maybe of Hawkshaw obstruction in Gibson Park, but I think it was okay, to be honest with you. I think the ref did say he looked at it. Johnny did question us before the conversion was, was taken. So the communication seemed to be decent enough between the TMO and the referee on the night but yeah it was a good try by Farrell um but yeah it was just a series of infringements from as you said from the from the line out overthrow right to you know two or three um penalties uh, which would be unlike Leinster so that's something like Cullen would look at I'm not sure what was going on with the kicking but Carty's attempt at conversion you know I've, I've it's a while since I played golf since I've had kids but I've hit plenty of those shanks <laughs> off to the right and yeah it's just uh, Johnny didn't have a great night with the boot either uh, so uh, yeah, Carty's kicking was continued, and it was it was he, he really skewed it to the right. But it was a good try by Connacht. I thought it was their best play of the night overall. It was good composed play, and they knew what they were doing, and 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 forced Leinster to infringe quite a few times. So yeah, good try by Con. Yeah, I mean it was a good night for Carty all round, unfortunately, and it's not like I mean he it's not like he hasn't come to the RDS and and bossed the show um, before, so we know we mm. know he can do it. But um, no, it wasn't uh, on the on the referee. I you know uh, because it didn't matter too much at the time, I suppose, because we were we were ahead. Uh, I didn't think too much of it. The more I looked at it since, the more I thought maybe different circumstances it could have been given um he does he does kind of go into contact with him it wasn't but it wasn't cast iron and if it wasn't called on the spot i don't think no. it was i think the most important thing was i think this ref who it was only his seventh i think appearance um uh, holding the whistle in, yes. in this league but i thought he had a really good night on the communication standpoint my always thing is whether or not you whether or not you agree with the ref once he spells it clearly what his call is and sticks to it then mm. you 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 have something to go on and he and sexton went to him and he said nope They've looked at it. It's been seen. It's done. We're playing on. And that's, you, you, there's nothing really you can say about that. But anyway, listen, like, uh, like uh, Tom said, the conversion was missed. There was to be no further scoring in the half, leaving it uh, at the break. Uh, Leinster, 19, Connacht, 12. So with Connacht only down by seven, they tried to get back into it early after the break, but Ryan Baird jackaled a penalty, which gave us a line out back in their half. And we were determined to fix what was going wrong at the set piece, Connor. Yeah, and we get a clean line-out take from Baird, who's just won the penalty, uh, goes up, takes a really nice... Um, and from there, it's a, it's a progression of really good running lines and really strong rook protection. Um, I, I think that's what really makes this try, is that every single rook, you've got fellas there prepared to you know, put themselves in, 
get the head down, protect the ball. Eventually, it's, you know, that's around the 10 meter line. And ball comes to Johnny in midfield, who passes it to Jordan Larmer and then out to Russell. And again, it's good rooking, but it's from the backs this time. Russell gets quite close to the line and it's the backs in, again, protecting the rook, protecting the ball. And then it's just uh, a few, um, I think two more phases after that before a really, really good pass from Gibson Park out to Larmer, who steps one, ducks under the other, and in for a bonus point try. And uh, again, a really well-worked try, really hard, a good team try, because everybody's doing something right throughout that entire move. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, he had the, the, unfortunately, the last part of that try, when he said his step was so good, he actually he caused pretty much caused the injury to poor David Hawkshaw, who uh, who had to be stretched out. Now he was able to stand eventually before he got on the thing, which was which was good to see. But it, it looked nasty. It was and it, yeah. this was the this was the dictionary definition of a rugby incident. It had nothing else. He just it was just so good a step. They, his body's just trying to react, and his legs just couldn't catch up. And I I think none of us would have been able to to to, to get around that. But we we, we do hope he's okay because he's been doing really well. He's got out there, and um, yeah, so that was the that was the bonus point try, and Sexton missed the the, the conversion as well. So it was now twenty four twelve to Leinster, and about five minutes later, there was yet another penalty, one at the breakdown uh, by Ryan Baird, which uh, Gibson Park chose to take quickly. Tom, yeah, um, it was one of Gibson's Park best moments of the night. Was <laughs> he as you as you know in these situations, he tends to tap and go quickly. He's always looking to get pace in the game. Overall, I thought he had a mixed night. I thought he did. I didn't have a great game at all, and and neither of our halfbacks for that matter um, but he went quick this time and whether he did it on purpose or not I don't know now Johnny was on his on his shoulder uh, but Carty was in his passing line and whether it was instinct or knowing what he was doing he just caught the ball after three metres Carty did from the uh, Gibson Park path and uh, the referee was, as you said, with the referee, whether he if he, he was he was he was clear on his convictions and explained it. He just said no, it's a yellow card, and that was it. And he stuck to his guns. So yeah, I'm sure Connacht fans will have some gripes about it. Do you know what I mean? Was it a yellow card offence? Um, the referee explained to him that it was in an attacking position. Um, maybe some of our Connacht friends um will look at our number ten situation and go, well, you know, maybe there should have been a card there too. But uh, as I said, the referee was 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 clear on what he wanted to do, and 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 it was good thinking by Gibson Park. As I said, who didn't have a great game, um, and 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 Carty seen, yeah, as you said earlier, he didn't have a great night overall, and he seen the line for ten minutes. And it's worth saying, I think Carty's a little bit unlucky because if you watch it back, he doesn't touch it first, because as Gibson Park passes it out, Farrell knocks it back into Carty's arms. Um, <laughs> so you could have said. Farrell could have seen the bin for 10 minutes instead as the player to make the contact. But because Cardi ends up with the ball in his hands, that's uh, that's the read of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we hear all this talk about we want to speed up the game or whatever. And like we say, <clears throat> when the ref makes a quick decision like that, it's, it, it's definitely going to help towards that, if nothing else. Um, but uh, it was, uh, but I think the fact is, the fact of the matter is, like after last week, we were saying um, when Deegan had his yellow card and um, we actually had possession, I think the stat came out nine minutes, 36 seconds mm. at the time. Uh, Leinster, Leinster actually had the ball during that 10 minutes. Well, it was, we, we almost saw the other way of it and that we, would, we may not have conceded any scores, but there was no scores in that 10 minute period. But uh, 
Tom touched on this. Now, Connor might be saying maybe a card should have gone the other way for R10. So why don't we talk about that for a little bit? Um, it was an incident where Connor had the ball and uh, there was a there's a player running at Sexton and he, he took the tackle and the play went on afterwards, but Sexton was down on the ground. And it was only when we saw the replay, that we saw exactly what happened. Let's we'll start with yourself, Connor. What'd you think of all that? I think that the referee may have been asked to have a second look at that because uh, they're both reasonably upright and there's head on head contact. Um, so yeah, there's probably a fair call for it to, to certainly have been looked at and uh, potentially, um, potentially either colour card. Now, the fact that um, the Connacht player takes no injury in it, and that's great, and you, know, you don't want to see players getting injured, um, that may have something to do with it. the fact that he was straight back up on his feet and playing on as quick as he could. You know, that, that may have had an impact on the decision-making, but I can see why Connacht fans would be looking and saying that that needs to have been looked at, that should have been looked at. I, I, I get it. Oh, absolutely. And it did. I, I don't even know if it was just Connor fans. I think anyone that wasn't a Leinster fan was watching that and saying, like, what's the story? What, what did you make of it, Tom? Yeah, for me, it was a yellow card. Johnny should have got a yellow card after the yeah. fact. Um, my rationale for a yellow is just something on the referees, how they've explained it. I don't think Johnny was a dominant tackle, uh, which they seem to take into a factor. He had the height, but it wasn't a power tackle. He was sort of soaking it. It was it was echoes of Gibson Park in in the sports ground going back against Connacht in that two legged Champions Cup match down. He he caught somebody as well and didn't see the line. Look, yeah, I think Connacht fans can feel aggrieved. Um, it should have been looked at. Uh, Johnny's obviously come out worse for wearing it with a bad could be a fractured cheek and could be out for a few weeks. Um, and with Charlie Natsai limping off, which hopefully it was cramp. I thought it was his hamstring. Uh, you know, I'm just talking about injuries overall. I thought it was hamstring, but looking back at the game, and maybe it's just cramping that took him off precautionary, given the, the situation with Henshaw. So I'm hoping that's okay. But Johnny could be out for a few weeks. But for me, it was the yellow card, just going on the rationale I've heard referees explaining this year. Not dominant. He was upright. And it was a head on head. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think we were lucky enough to get away with the, with that one. This, In my opinion, anyway, we were lucky enough to get away with the. Uh, at 10 minutes in the bin there. Absolutely. Because I mean, the, the starting point is whether, whether it's looked at at all. Now the ref, like we say, the ref had said earlier on that things were looked at. So I'm assuming that the TMO was up there looking at the tackle anyway, but it surely nothing was said. Um, I didn't hear, I, I don't know if the Connor players who were complaining to the ref about it was asking what it looked at. I mean, uh, you know, the, the focus seemed to be, I mean, the focus from us as Leinster and Ireland fans, the focus, even on the commentary team was on the sex and injury that he was going off. And of course, we're all thinking of matches down the line and his availability for that. And you're thinking, I mean, it's natural. It's natural to think that, but um, I mean, and it would have been unusual for him to go off injured and be injured on the sideline, but then to then to get a yellow card or a red card. But it can be done, and um, that's that's the way it's supposed to work. And of course, if it was if it was a yellow card, we wouldn't have been able to replace him in that moment uh, for for ten minutes, and there would have been all those implications as well. But there, there could have been a thing where the officials, although they did have a good night overall, where they could have at least said it had been looked at because we we don't know it, it was was anything done about it. Because I mean, a lot like you say, there's been a lot of reaction since. 
from it's not like I say, not just Connor fans saying, oh, well, if it was this, that and the other Connor player, no, you know, something would have been done. And I think that's a little bit too far. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's it's that that exclusive um, bias towards one particular team. But um, it was just unusual that that it was an unusual situation because he got the injury. And, and, and he does have form in this area. He does tend to, he's, he backs himself yeah. to stand up into these tackles. Very unusual for, for tens to be so eager to, 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 to back themselves, but he definitely does. He stands up for these tackles the same over the years. We've seen it before, but the thing about that, if you're going to commit to that, you've also got to take the consequence if it goes wrong. And it was definitely worth looking at. Like you say, it could go one way or the other, whether it's dominant or who's absorbing what, um, who's staying high for the hit and what's going on. There's, but it, we didn't even get to that stage with this, I think is the point. And I think as Leinster fans, I just was hoping we'd have a forum where the three of us would just all agree. At least it was definitely a situation worth looking at. We're yeah. not thinking, Oh God, it wasn't a tackle at all. It's grand. What are we talking about? We're not going to uh-huh. pretend. It was definitely a situation where um, it, 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 it deserved a look, you know? I think uh, if it had got a look, nobody would have complained. Yeah. No, none of us would be sitting here going, that's an outrageous call. It, it wouldn't have been. It would have been the right call to at least have looked at it. I think Connick, yeah, can feel unlucky. You know, if we take the two situations with the 10, as we said earlier, Hawkshaw went off with an injury. So it was a double whammy when, when Carty got the line because there was nobody to step in really at 10. Or, you know, Johnny, in my opinion, escaped the yellow and we were able to bring Harry Bourne on, Harry Bourne on and slot right in. Um, so I don't think wouldn't have changed the result of the game overall, but I'm sure you know, Connor can feel aggrieved or a bit unlucky in it. I think to end on a positive, um, throughout that phase where, where, where Johnny was on the line, I think we have to mention Jimmy O'Brien put in a hell of a tackle in the corner to stop a sure Connick try. Um, really got across and 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 got a got to, I don't know who was over the line with the ankle an ankle grab and just under the angle C stand. It was Ralston, a crack I think it was, yeah, yeah, it was a great cover and tackle. He, you know, it was yeah, worth mentioning anyway. Yep, absolutely. It was great. It was, it was a great tackle indeed. All right. Well, okay, that's grand. So anyway, with Harry Byrne now running the attack, we were quick to progress uh, back into the Cotter 22. Although their defense held out enough for them to clear, it wasn't long before Kylan Doris was running back at them, Connor. Yeah, and I think it's just worth mentioning really quickly just because we've been talking about cards. Um, at 58 minutes, there's what the ref deems a deliberate knock-on with no opportunity of recovering the ball afterwards. Um mm. I question that call as well. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, look, we got a really good line out in that situation. It was nice to see a clean line out. Um, and the ball comes out to Russell, who passes it off to, to Doris, who's just powering through and another nice offload into Charlie Natai. And we had a good, some really, again, good phases, clean rook work, um, and eventually just those steady consistent you're hearing the ref shout short no not there and that kind of thing but it's just sucking in defenders the whole time and suddenly there's a big overlap and Foley who was on at this stage for Gibson Park puts up a really nice pass over the top to to Russell to go running in for the try Yep. Yeah, definitely a good score. And uh, like I say, um, that's the situation where we know Gibson Park does really well finding that final pass. But it's good to know if Foley as well that can do it. And uh, and uh, yeah, it was definitely a good finish in the corner. Well, Harry uh, missed this conversion meeting. It was 29-12. And after Carty just missed a 50-22 opportunity, putting it out in the full, we had a line out at halfway to launch another attack, Tom. Yeah, again, as, 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 as Connor mentioned, we started to get our line out working a bit better uh, from, from the initial first 10 minutes. I didn't realise the stats was as bad. Oh, Connor mentioned him about uh, 
four in ten and then only two, I think, after that. It seemed a lot worse on the night. Um, maybe that's funny when you get a bias in your head. It seemed every second line out was going awry. But in this instance, we did hit a line out and uh, eventually got to Charlie Natai midfield. And um, for a split second, it reminded me of one of those memes where everybody's going the wrong way apart from one guy. This was four Connacht guys in midfield going to rush up and Charlie Natai just turned at the last second. He's not the fastest 12 in the world. Uh, he wouldn't be renowned for pace or anything like that, but but uh, he made a lovely uh, lovely run, just took four Connacht players out of it completely. So uh, I think Leinster might have had a different move looking back at it and uh, whether Connacht read it, but it's good to see somebody with the brains of Charlie Natai spot the gap and go. And this was sort of a throwback to the days, if you remember, we played Glasgow a few years ago and Ryan Baird broke onto the scene and there was this galloping six foot four guy who just was unstoppable over, you know, 30 metres. And this was it was great to see Ryan Baird run one in because he, he ran on Natai's shoulder and you could hear him shouting in his ear that he was there and there was no stopping him, even though there was a winger and a, I think a, Jack Carty was going to run across and then thought better of it. He just sort of gave up. Well, plus he had support, but there was absolutely no way he was letting go of that ball. He was the only, no, the only no, he had support. It was a try all up, all, all, yeah. in, all, all up. And it was uh, just, as we said earlier on, the one downside is Natai went off holding his, um, looks like a hamstring. But um, on re-looking at the match, it looks like it might have been just cramp the way he was trying to fix himself in the pitch. So considering the games we've got coming up and with Henshaw missing and now there'll be a doubt over Johnny, it'd be nice to go to King's home with, with Ross Bourne, maybe a 10 and, and uh, Natai at 12. Crack and try by Ryan Bird. It was, it was, it was nice to see him get one back. And he is, he's, he's our six. I think, I think that the further this season goes on, we've mentioned it before on the pod that, that fan of Fleer Doris and Baird seems to be our first choice back row. And with all due respect to Jack Conan, who I'm sure will try and fight backing and, and change that. But uh, the Jenkins in the scrum when he's when he's back and Baird at six do add a bit more weight to our scrum and a bit more beef. And when you got Ryan Baird, who I thought was man of the match, to be honest with you, I thought Larmer, you know, got 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 some had some really good moments. But I thought in that first half when we were a little bit a little bit all at sea, I thought Ryan Baird was outstanding for 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 all of the game, and he was probably unlucky not to get player of the match for me. Yep. But, uh, yeah, crack and try. The rampaging bears. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, Harry added this conversion, making it 36-12. And now with both teams, were so deep into their benches. They were left in some unusual situations with Connett's uh, Jared Butler forced off, leaving them with just 14 men. Meanwhile, Leinster had used all their back subs when Charlie Nettai had to go off. Meaning Scott Penny came on for him. So the 2022 World Player of the Year was going to start 2023, having to go in a new position. How did he get on, Connor? Um- I, I said it in the stands at the time, you know, wing, wing forward. What's the difference, you know? Um, and it, it's mad. Like Penny having come on at that stage. So he's in the scrum at seven. Uh, I think we'd moved O'Brien into the centre, Larmer back to fullback. Um, but for some strange reason, out of the scrum we had on 75 minutes, Foley gets it to Burn. Burn is passing it out to Larmer. Um who takes it past the gain line before he offloads it to Russell. And Russell is running up and has, and you're looking going, that's, that's a red scrum cap. What's it doing all the way over there? The scrum has just happened. How did he, and Van der Fleer is put into the space and you know, he had a little bit of work to do, but he, it, it's phenomenal that at 75 minutes, he still had enough pace to, to outrun the defender and get in in the corner for try number seven. Seven, yeah. And uh, yeah, the thing about that was, is that, uh, it, like you say, you could see him actually um, 
supporting the play. I mean, he's he's in the line and he's holding back. There's a pass just before it gets to him, and he's still holding his line. He's he's doing the winger things, uh, you know, to, to get himself in the right position. If, if you've been watching James Lowe or Jordan Larmer or Jimmy O'Brien doing exactly the same thing, you'd say that, that's perfect wing play. I, I know the game was won, but it does show you the, the, how, how good Leinster amongst the whole squad practice uh, set piece moves like that or you know a running move. Because just before, so I think Jimmy O'Brien had to slot into 13, Osborne moved to 12. As you mentioned, Josh ended up on the wing and still there was that fluidity of attack where everybody knew their role. So it just shows you that, you know, um, I don't know who dropped into fullback. It might have been Larmer. Um, but it just shows you that, you know, when they're asked to fulfill different roles, it, it's not just you're an 11 or you're 14 or you're this. Just they changed at the last minute to, 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 to when Penny came on. And I think Sorocco went to the back row as well. And still to be able to come up with a try that was, you know, it looked an easy try, but it was just everything was perfect. The timing, the passing, just and that just shows you the skill set and the brains of, of, of what's going on there at Leinster. Anyway, although uh, Harry uh, pulled the conversion wide, that still made it a convincing bonus point win for Leinster to kick off the new year. Now, a lot has been said about the song played after the full-time whistle. I have to say I didn't hear it, and I don't mean that in the Carl Dixon sense of not hearing it. I really didn't. I had to leave, and I had headphones on really to, to get to my bus. Not surprisingly, there's been a lot of back and forth on social media about the incident. It, was to, it followed with viewpoints from many different angles, and to be honest, well, I do think there are literally thousands of songs they could have played instead the statement should have been the end of the issue um and you know that that should be the case whatever the sport or gender involved it should be just a simple thing and and they dealt with it and 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 that was that all in all the main headline from the evening was definitely the final score which was Leinster 41 Connacht 12. Okay, so now we're going to get uh, some final thoughts from the lads, starting with yourself, Tom. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll get the negatives out of the way. And, uh, you know, I thought our, I mentioned earlier on, I thought our halfbacks didn't have a good night. Uh, obviously, that was sort of compounded by Johnny's injury. Um, and talking of injuries, we, we have to see about Charlie Natai. So over the next few weeks, we're, I know we've got a URC game next week, but we've got Gloucester and Racing. It's important that those guys, you know, get back in the fold and hopefully the injuries aren't as bad. But overall, like, you know, it's 11 wins from 11. In the league, uh, that's 13 wins and 13 for the season. It was great to see a full house where everyone was disappointed with the crowd against Gloucester. Um, and we, we spoke about that on the pod before. Um, it was it was a good atmosphere, um, a big crowd, which was always great to see. I thought a big positive from the game was was actually some of the younger lads like Russell. Uh, it was good to see Soraka come back in. I thought Mill had a decent enough shift in the front row. Um, and as Connor mentioned, Foley, anytime he's come on. I found him excellent. He, he's a guy I can see been our starting nine in the next few years. I think he's a really quality, good, a really good nine, and he suits Leinster's high-tempo game. So, um, and obviously Jordan Larmer, uh, we've seen some of it at the tail end the last season, and uh, where he's coming back into form, and you know that 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 you know he seems to be back in the groove again. And uh, we we were a little bit light in the back three, so to speak, especially when the Ireland lands are away. And I know Larmer does be as well as well, but it's nice to have that depth if you've got Low Keenan, O'Brien, and Larmer fighting for 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 three four spots. So yeah, and the other positive is look at six from six. We did did the inter pro inter pro slam six wins out of six, and um, even though we've had a spate of home games recently, I think as the song goes, we're on the road again to uh, or so to Ospreys and then Gloucester uh, over the next couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, all positives. Yep, definitely, Connor. 
Uh, yeah, I can only echo what Thomas said. You know, it's great to see some of those players putting in the performances they put in. Um, some really, really strong, uh, strong, strong, uh, strong performances on the night by some players who you mightn't have expected. Like Dini on is that Dini's first start? Um, might might be his second, but you know, a really good performance from him. I think a really strong performance from uh, from Russell from Foley, these young lads, Turner getting his first try. It's great to see. There were two stats that caught my eye from the match. Um, one was obviously the line out, um, 12 from 18 of our own, but good to see that, you know, we only lost one in the second half. So that's positive. Um, the other stat that stood out to me was tackles because van der Fleer led the way with 20 Doris was third with 17, and a player who went off at 61 minutes, Johnny Sexton, had 19 tackles, uh, which says a lot for his intensity and how much he wants to get out of the game. I think, and, and I said it afterwards, you know, we need to see him getting minutes in the boots, but I, I think he, he's got his minutes there and really wanted to show that he's still, I'm still a Leinster player, lads, whatever talk there is about next season. Here I am in the RDS putting in a shift. So that was a good stat to see. The only other thing then that I saw that sort of worried me a little bit was Gibson Park's decision to kick the ball dead at the end of the first half. You know, we're right outside their 22. We're pushing hard. And okay, we've gone backwards a couple of yards the phase before. But to kick it dead, I just thought, what, where where's the winning mentality? They seem to have that? an overlap as well on the other side at that at that point as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah something did seem on the, the, the championship. And he's the kind of player who about. spots that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about championship minutes before. You know, those few minutes before halftime, those few minutes after. I I questioned that. Um, it's it's a strange decision for me. I wouldn't mind knowing what who made that call. Did Johnny shout kick it dead or something. Mm. Um, let's get in to have a talk about what's happened so far. Or was that his own decision? Either way, I don't necessarily like it as a decision. I, I was just over the tunnel as they were coming off and, and, and Johnny definitely didn't tell him to kick it out because there was a scowl that would, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Medusa would have been proud of. He was not happy with Gibson Park one bit. Like if looks could kill, Gibson Park was trying to avoid eye contact all the way. He's like, <laughs> Johnny's looking at me. Johnny's freaking looking at me here. And he just legged it to the dressing room. And you can see Johnny's talking to James Ryan at the same time. Where it's like, I thought you said that line out was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, listen, that's brilliant. So we, we certainly can't complain about the results so far. And, um, but we, you know, like we've, we've, we've said, there, there are things to work on. And, you know, we've had a bit of luck here and there, maybe calls, whatever, going for us, uh, going, going our way. But uh, overall, it's been a great start of the season and long may it continue. Okay, so now it's time for some of um, the full-time takes uh, made uh, at the final whistle uh, on social media from uh, other fans, uh, starting on from the Facebook page. Gavin Hegarty said um, it was boring. It's tiresome how even after the opposition gets ahead, we don't fear the result. We need to be challenged more. And uh, Chris McDonald said another shocking day at the lineout. Uh, Kelleher will not get a starting jersey back from Sheehan until he learns how to throw the ball. I'm not always, uh, I don't always agree that it's a hooker's problem, but then, you know, he, he is definitely part of the process of uh, winning lineouts, that's for sure. Um, on the Twitter machine, a couple of uh, opinions from uh, Connor fans and both of 
whom have appeared on the pod. The second row said, well, that's that. Leinster 41, Connor 12. Never expected to come up and get a win, especially with the disruption with illness during the week. We look to be attacking better, but the ruck protection is off. And then a master of none said, um, hard to know how to feel after that. Connor played better than the scoreline would suggest. was always going to be tough to live with Leinster's depth and pressure. Finally, on uh, Mastodon, a rhubarb sticks said Ryan Barrett in full flight is a sight to behold. A scrappy enough performance with plenty of positives to go forward with. And Rugby Kino said a tale of three parts to that match. A tight, well-matched, fast-paced game gave way to more of a broken-up tussle in midfield in the second half. But come the final quarter, Leinster flexed their handling muscle and put Connor to the sword. It's definitely true. And finally, Richard Mitsud said a really entertaining match at the RDS. Connacht competitive deep into it, but a couple of late tries put a gloss on the scoreline. So that's definitely true from him. Okay, so um, as always, if you haven't joined the social media conversation for Leinster matches, why not give it a go? I tend to be on Mastodon these days during the match, although we still do the post for full-time thoughts over on the Facebook page. So now it's time to do a wrap of uh, round 11 of the URC. And here's all the results. We had uh, Edinburgh 25, Glasgow 32, Zebra 17, Benetton 40, Sharks 47, Bulls 20, Stormers 40, Lions 8, Cardiff 19, Ospreys 22, Ulster 14, Munster 15, Scarlets 33, Dragons 17, and finally, of course, our match, which was Leinster 41, Connacht 12. Now that leaves the table... Um, it was pretty much the same as the top. Leinster are still ahead by eight points. We now have 52. The Stormers second, 44, but still a game in hand. Uh, Ulster stay in third despite the defeat. They're 36, also with a game in hand, but there's a bit of a gap forming there now between third and second. Then behind them, there's the Bulls with 34. The Sharks move up to fifth, uh, 29 with two games in hand. Uh, Glasgow also 29 with just one game in hand. And Benetton 29, having played in all 11 rounds. And finally, rounding out the top eight, Cardiff uh, move uh, are now in eighth with 28 just behind them there's Munster with 27 Edinburgh 25 Lions 24 with the game in hand and Ospreys 23 so there's still a lot of competition going on for those top places and then finally the bottom four are now Connacht 20 Dragon 17 Scarlet's 13 and then finally a gap down to Zebra at the bottom with just the four points and just a reminder those four points Zebra have after 11 rounds two of them they took off Leinster in round one that's just neither here nor there, but just thought I'd point that out. Now, um, round 12 is next weekend, starting with uh, January the 6th. You've got Dragons at home to the Bulls and Munster at home to the Lions. Then on Saturday, January the 7th, it's Benetton v. Ulster, Edinburgh v. Zebra, Cardiff v. Scarlets, uh, Connacht v. Sharks, and Ospreys v. Leinster. And then on the Sunday, Glasgow Horse host the Stormers. So that's uh, what round 12 is looking like. And that's the roundup of the United Rugby Championship. Well, listen, that's brilliant, lads. We're going to leave it there for now. Many thanks again to Tom and Connor for joining me, and we'll hope to talk to you both again soon. Cheers, lads. Thanks very much. So that's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast feed if you haven't already. Keep an eye on our website, harpinandrugby.com, for all our features during the week. Next up, Leinster are playing those pesky Ospreys. So we'll be giving that match in Swansea all the usual harp and treatment with a preview before, another rep pod after, and all the usual features in between. As always, feel free to send us your thoughts. Email us at paganoblog at gmail.com or get us on any or all of our social media platforms. You'll find the links in the program notes. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Slan.